number one tip, be gracious to your agent and give them all the up-to-date CV, skills, ammunition to get you in the room. You do have to prioritize and go, this is what I'm going for at the time. This is what I'm putting all my resources into. The work that you've done, the experience you've had, how you are doing your work. I'm judging you on that. I'm not judging you on how long of an email you can write. Hello, Danny from Actors Coaching International in the US. Hello, Daniel from Actors Coaching International in the UK. So, Danny, what classes does ACI provide? I'm so pleased you asked that, Daniel. We provide weekly core acting classes. Online and in person. We run self-tape classes. Casting director workshops. Audition-ready classes. Industry professional workshops with award-winning directors. Script analysis sessions. Intensive two-day acting workshops. Why not go to actorscoachinginternational.com? to find out more. Mildred, you're in the room with us today. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you for this opportunity. Lovely to meet you in the flesh both. I know we've been internet buddies for a while, Twitter buddies. So it's great to see you even virtually in person. Yeah, it's great to have this conversation. It's been coming for quite a while. Christian, how are you before we crack on? We always got to check in with you, all right? Yes, I'm very, very well, thank you. The sun's out. Got my Ribena, so we're all good. Wow, that's that's a hell of a Saturday night, isn't it, for you? That really, that really is. But yeah, it's awesome to get you on, Mildred, and chat to you. As you say, we've sort of had a few DMs in the past, sharing each other's tweets, and we have quite a lot of common ground. So it's great to have the opportunity to have a long-form conversation and cover some really important topics, which is great. But first of all, we ask all of our guests this question, and it's always a doozy. Answers are always varied. How do actors get in the room? Number one tip, be gracious to your agent and give them all the up-to-date CV, skills, ammunition to get you in the room. I always pitch harder for the clients that I love and I know if I get them a meeting, they're going to smash the heck out of that tape or that meeting and they're ready to go. That. That's really interesting that you're super conscious of that as well. And that's is, is it been a more important thing in recent times? Because at the time of recording, sort of a few weeks ago, I think it was, there's something happened from the casting director's side of Spotlight, making it easier to connect with actors based on certain, you know, skills on Spotlight and filtered information. Is, is that correct or am I mishearing that? I don't have a casting director account, so I, I have no idea how they see it. But I know that casting directors definitely have a look before they bring people in. And if you've just done something recently and you've done a recent project and I've said, well, so-and-so just wrapped on this, which is relevant to the project they're casting, and it's not on your CV, you're just shooting yourself in the foot because they're going, huh, what's she saying? Is that correct? Mm. <laughs> and you know, you just want to take out that margin of error because like there are so many submissions for each job nowadays, it's become so competitive. So you just want to be as good as you can have everything there ready for people to pick you because they really do want to pick you. They're looking for opportunities to pick you. They're not looking for opportunities not to pick you. That's really interesting. I had a friend that was on uh, Hollyoaks some years ago, and he told me that when he left, he got a job on a quite a big show on Netflix. can't remember what the name was, and it was only a couple of lines. But because he put it instantly on his Spotlight CV, he was getting called in for all these big things because they're like, you're on this, you're filming this massive show. They didn't know it was only one line, but because he had that on there, he was getting called in for everything. So that was really interesting. Yeah, like keep yourself relevant. And if you have something relevant to say, let people know about. Don't wait for them to dig. 
um, make it easy for people to get you in the room. That's what we all want. Uh, so me, me and Matt are always really interested to hear about the start of our guest careers. What brought you to working in this industry? Well, you know, I've always loved the entertainment industry, like the power that books, movies, and television and theater have to like change beliefs and to change the way people feel and just be a talking point in everyday households, I think has always really drawn me because people always want to talk about what's happening in arts and entertainment. I just feel like there's a real power there that I've always been like, this is amazing. How do you have a conversation with everybody by being involved in this space? One of my previous careers was uh, as a competitive ballroom dancer. So my husband and I represented England in seven world and European championships. And uh, we trained at this elite dance school in Bologna in Italy with um, Joanne Clifton, who's my first client. And um, it was our coach, Davide Cacciari. You know, we were having one of those conversations one day. It's very similar to conversations that actors have with their agent. You know, why am I not booking anything? You know, Davide, <laughs> why am I not getting to the next round? Like, am I ever going to be world champion? Am I ever going to be in the world final? And he was like, no, you may not. You may not become world champion, but neither will 99% of us. And he was like, but you know what? You have the ability and the strengths and the talent to be a world champion manager of talent. And I think he was, that was his polite way of saying, you're really bossy. And, but he's, he spotted <laughs> that. And it's so funny because even then, like at the world championships and stuff, I was always the one being like, Oh my God. So we have to do the, like, you know, that we have always had the countries like parading and everything. Why is everyone not, not in line? This is what we need to do. We need to do this. And then, you know, trying to figure it out for the, for the club and for everybody. And so that's kind of the first time I had the idea that I could do something like that. It's really interesting that that then took you presumably over a, a course of more time to end up where you are today. But that's but sometimes you said it's because you think, you know, saying that you're a bossy. But I think sometimes coaches or teachers of people do see glimmers of going, you know what, they are really good at this. But I wonder, I think there's there's this and you see it when you teach young actors, young performers, where I go, I know they're a really good actor for their age. But I think the way they talk, the way they behave, the way that they move, they're going to be a playwright or a director, you know, if things go to plan. That's really awesome. When we asked you if you'd be interested to come on the podcast, you said, sounds great. Love to do some myth busting in this industry. And we're going to go to that towards the later end of the podcast as well. But for now, let's ask your personal opinion on this. Is there anything that comes to mind that you want to shut down once and for all in this industry as a myth? There is just so much stuff out there, both of you guys know as well. And anytime you hear something, always check it out. Always do your due diligence. <laughs> Always ask questions of people who are actual experts and be skeptical. Um, be critical of things that you are told. I think one of my favorite ones that still survives to this day is uh, the one where people go, well, you have to be everything to everyone. You have to be, you have to be right for everything. And I'm like, no, you, you really don't. And I represent lots of people who are multi-talented. They work in multiple platforms and multiple mediums. And even then, when you're that sort of person, you have to prioritize. You can't do so many things at once. 
that's just not how the human brain works. Um, you do have to prioritize and go, this is what I'm going for at the time. This is what I'm putting all my resources into. Otherwise, what you're doing is you're going, I'm dividing the resources I have into all these different pots and you're not making the best of what you have. And it's exactly the same when you start worrying about going into an audition. Oh, I wonder what they want. I'll, maybe I'll just try to be a little bit of everything or doing a tape. I'll just like try to make make it like, you know, kind of neutral so no one will have a problem with it. But again, back to that thing, how do you get in the room? How do you get chosen? You have to prioritize, you have to make strong choices. And to do that, you can't be everything all the time. You can't be everything to everyone. And that is totally fine. Before Christian gets into the next question, I think that goes back to what I say to a lot of people that I work with that happen to be quite a lot of the time early career artists that are maybe looking for their first agent or looking for some of their first roles is I tell them to double down on their strengths. And sometimes that's misconceived as embracing typecasting and putting a negative spin on it. And it's like, no, 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 you need to show them what you are really freaking good at. Because very few people, until they get sort of a name or some credits under their belt, actually have the opportunity to branch out. And that, you know, you should go, this is what I'm really good at. This is what I'm going to push out there. And that's how you get people's attention or at least that's what it seems to work for when I work with some people. But I think that links quite nicely to Christian's next question, which we'll be looking at rep request, isn't it, Christian? Yeah, I mean, but I was going to briefly touch upon uh, this, something else Mildred mentioned that was really important, that I've got so many actor friends that still to this day, they'll do a tape and they'll be, they'll say to me, oh, I think I've got that one or I think that was amazing. Do you think I'll get it? And it's like, you just need to forget that shit and you've done your best job. And now just forget about it and you just bring everything that you can to the table and stop worrying about do they want this or that and that. Just do your best work and that's what you touched upon there, Mildred. And I think that's really, really key for people to really hear and take that in. Well, I mean, I always have that thing where I'm like, you guys see me on Twitter going, find your superpower. And people always think, oh, yeah, that's a that's a really great phrase. But people will are drawn to things done really well and having an expertise. And I'm a big, big fan of leaning into your strengths and just honing the thing you are really good at that you can do better than anybody else. That's how you're going to get in the room. That's how you're going to book those jobs. And like you say, once you've done it, you've done everything you can, close the book. Exactly. And often you're, we had Anthony uh, Mendel, the acting coach uh, on our podcast last season, and he touched upon your superpower really being you, your individual, what you bring to the table, what your ideas are on that script. And that's kind of your superpower in his opinion. Quite right. He's one of the greatest acting coaches. Love him. Love him. So I'll move on to the next question just about rep requests. So every time an agent comes on our podcast, we have to ask certain topics. So representation requests, what are the biggest do's and don'ts when writing emails? Um, it's funny. Uh, my friend um, and colleague, Sam Halton, we just did this spotlight, whole spotlight seminar on this topic. And we were like, okay, two biggest tips. One, be normal. Don't talk to someone as if you have just, they, they are not another human being. And two, be brief and make sure that they have everything they need to assess you. So a lot of times we get really, really super long emails with everything in it, their life story, but not a spotlight link, no headshots, no show reel. <laughs> so for me, I'm just like, make sure the spotlight link is in there. I actually don't mind if the email's really brief and I am looking for representation. Here's my spotlight link. Here's my show reel. If you don't have a show reel, here's some recent self tapes I've done. And I'm like, great. 
That's all I need to know. Because again, what we were talking about before, those things speak for themselves. What the work that you've done, the experience you've had, how you are doing your work. I'm judging you on that. I'm not judging you on how long of an email you can write. Absolutely. It's quite quite interesting because I think a lot of people go into rep request emails trying to get signed off the email, whereas what you want is to get the meeting because no actor on the face of planet Earth gets signed without a meeting. Even the biggest actors in the world, the, the new agent that's being approached would still want to probably have coffee with them, see whether or not that's a, that's something, that's Pandora's box they want to open up, depending on whichever famous actor it might be. So just as you say, present the information, be polite, then get the fuck out of there. And if, if, they, if they're interested, they are. If they're not, then whatever. But I totally agree with you. Sometimes you see emails that are, if you have to scroll down to get to the end of it, right? It's, it's, there's too much going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it's just keep it short, keep it sweet. And yeah, like you say, and if someone is signing you off the back of an email, I would look at that company really hard and go, why? <laughs> yeah. You just want to meet with people, right? And you can save some of the things that are written in emails that are, they're presuming that people are going to see something and make a judgment. And then they're writing about what they think that person's then going to, they're having a conversation with an email that hasn't even happened and to wait for the actual meeting to have that conversation. We sort of mentioned it at the start of the podcast, you spoke about having up-to-date CVs and all that, but can we dive into that a little bit more? So what can actors do to make the best spotlight CV and showreel or whatever additional material there is for their agents to use when submitting them for work or introducing them to a new casting office? So first of all, Every agent is different. So make sure, number one, check in with your agent about what their formatting preferences are and what they would like to see. So that is rule number one that trumps everything else. Check in and speak to your agent about how they like it to look. In general, things that I've seen where I personally ask clients to change, make sure there's dates on all the credits, even if it's just the year. I think Spotlight only does year anyway, but just put the year that the project is going out or the year that you did it for theater. A lot of times people go, well, I just don't put the date on. I'm like, well, that just makes it harder for people to place which show you were in or which version. Was it the original feature film? Was it the revival? We don't know because there's no date on it. And then after you've agreed the format with your agent, take the initiative. When you have new credits, put them up in the format that you've agreed. Don't wait for them to chase you. Once a TV show you've been on is out, you chase up the footage. Don't wait for them to chase you because the sooner you have evidence of the new work that you've done on your Spotlight CV, the sooner you'll be seen for new things. I mean, even if like sometimes casting directors, because they can search the CVs and stuff. So if you have your newest credits on there and a showreel for them to watch with your newest footage, that will take you so much further. Are you going to ask the next one, Christian? You look ready to go in there. And I, I was ready to just start talking again, but people are probably going to be sick of my voice. But I was like, we need to get the company name right on this question, remember? Because I fluffed yeah, up no, when no, I no, sent no. Mildred the question. That's what I was focused on. That's what I was focused on. We're like, oh God, we've got to get the name right. Got to get the name right. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask about how, how do you and the rest of the team at United Agents go about maintaining your position as one of the uh, leading agencies in the world? I mean, actors and other industry professionals are understandably more focused on staying afloat or getting to the top. But we'd love to know a little bit about what it's like trying to stay there. Well, the thing I love most about United Agents and my colleagues there is that 
everyone is so different from each other, but yet at the top of their game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have experts and everything from, you know, we have people who do unscripted to screenwriting, to directors, to comedy, to serious drama actors, to technicians. But that said, I think it's still important to acknowledge that everyone struggles even at the top. Mm. And I remember when the pandemic first happened, yeah, all of us, there was not a moment where we were like, oh, oh we were good. We're going to be fine. We're totally going to be fine. I think everyone had a panic. Mm. Everyone was like, oh God, how are we going to get through this? How are we going to innovate? Is this going to be forever? I think that's the question we were all asking. I think coming out of it, yeah, it disproportionately affects different types of agents, you know, those with more like live projects in the theater or like live comedy and stuff will be still more disproportionately affected than people with more screen, um, people who work in television and in feature film. I do think though, overall, I can answer for me. I always try every day, every week to come in and go, how do, how can I make this service even better for my clients over the people, the buyers I work for in the industry? How uh, professionalism is always my number one priority. And I think the way forward for our industry is as we become more and more professionalized, more money is going to flow in, more support's going to flow in. We're going to become more and more of a business where people can really thrive. I want to know that I'm always delivering the best advice and helping my clients put their best foot forward. So I'm always like reading and staying on top of things and trying to go, okay, well, is there this new area over here? What's happening in gaming? What's happening in digital? The new SVOD deals, how do they affect actors and creatives differently. Um, so I'm always like reading books, connecting with new people in the industry, thinking about ways we can make everything work faster, better, and in a more connected way. And while we're on the agent side of things, I'd like to ask a sort of follow-up. It's not necessarily directly related to that, but it's something I'm I'm curious about is what advice would you have for newer agencies? Because through the pandemic and coming out of it, quite a lot of agencies couldn't financially continue and, and they had to close their books and it was awful, awful, awful to see people that put that so much time and energy in their lives into this business having to shut down. But we do have new agents coming through and, and new businesses opening and, and trying to take their first steps into the industry. What advice would you give to a newer acting agency, whether brand new, a few months in of things to make sure that they're shit hot on or to, to look at or mistakes to avoid to um, try and get a foothold and, and cling on in the early days, as it were? God, like, I'm not sure I'm qualified to answer this question. Like, because people who start new agencies now, God, I hat off to you. I am so like in awe of you deciding to do that and take that risk. A, we need you. We do because we all know that there aren't enough good agents out there. There's not enough representation out there for the people who need it. And I would say, you know, it's like being an agent is hard. It it's really it's a difficult job. It's not for the faint-hearted, but you know, you have to focus on the things that you love and you really want to promote and believe in. And it is really hard at the beginning because if you don't have the cash coming in, it's mm -hmm. really difficult to go, okay, you know, I'm going to hang on and believe in this. So I would say 
if I were to do that, I'd, I'd be looking at my portfolio being like, do I have short term bets as well as medium term bets as well as long term bets to take me through this? But gosh, I mean, it is not for the faint hearted and hats off to anyone who's trying to enter the industry right now. Hi, we're selftape.co.uk, but uh, don't forget the hyphen. That's self-tape.co.uk. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it's a mouthful worth chewing on. Uh, anyway, as the name suggests, we do self-tapes for actors in London. Maybe you've run out of time. Maybe you have kids. Perhaps you can't find a reader. Or, let's face it, you could just be a little bit shit at setting everything up. Well, that's where we come in. But it's not all we offer. No, we also shoot showreels for actors, too. Custom showreel scenes shot from scratch to show casting directors and agents exactly what you can do. Well, that is, if they can be bothered to watch. Any In The Room listeners get 10% off all of our services just by quoting In The Room. So get in touch and visit www.selftape.co.uk. Or don't. It's completely up to you. But whatever you do, do. Don't forget the hyphen. Self hyphen to... Ah, you get it. So... This next question is going to sound a little bit different for you listeners, and that's due to the fact that when we originally recorded this podcast, what Mildred is about to talk about was not yet released to the public. But now we're releasing Series 3, and all this information is out there. We really wanted to put this question and Mildred's answer right back into the podcast. So I'll ask the question, and you'll hear Mildred's answer, and then we'll get right back to where we were at the day of recording. So enjoy. Being an agent at a top agency, a position of power, how have you sought to champion and elevate underrepresented voices in the industry? And we'd love to hear more about the Diverse Squad. I'm very fortunate to be a founding member of the PMA Racial Diversity Working Group, aka the Diverse Squad. Uh, we are a group of seven women of color agents who got together on the topic of the treatment of non-white actors versus their white counterparts in 2020. In 2021, we commissioned a survey alongside the Sir Lenny Henry Center for Media Diversity. And we surveyed 1,300 non-white actors about their treatment on set in the audition process and one of the major findings was that 71% of the respondents reported a lack of provision in hair and makeup departments. So what this meant was that makeup colors for black and brown skin and suitable hair products for ethnic hair were just not available on set. Non-white actors were also often required to do or organize their own hair and makeup while their white counterparts had the professional support of a hair and makeup team. So what we ended up doing is we got together with our partners, Spotlight and the global makeup brand, Matt Cosmetics, and launched the Inclusive Complexion Edit, a set of products catering to those with darker skin tones that will ensure that all productions have the opportunity to have the right makeup colors for actors, regardless of the color of their skin. So discounts will also be offered to professionals purchasing these products, as well as spotlight actors who can also go to any Mac store and get their unique makeup foundation code that can be inputted into a field and tagman by their agents. And that way, no one has to go into a job unprepared or uninformed. 
So we're asking everyone in the industry, from actors to agents to casting directors and producers, to proactively support us on this by asking for and providing the foundation code or makeup reference just at the point of booking um, when all of the information is usually sent to the producer um, for the casting advice notice, you would also send your makeup foundation code. Um, Then if production has this information, they will be able to better cater to the actor on set. So that's our newest initiative. I hope all of your listeners will now go and get their unique makeup coat and take advantage of the discount. Um, this is our next step um, in forwarding race equality, and we're very, very proud of it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. And you don't just represent actors. Um, on your books, you have directors, casting directors, choreographers, presenters, writers, composers, and probably more that we missed, or I probably mistyped something again. What challenges do you face when dealing with so many different aspects of the industry from so many different sides? And is there an upside when it comes to potential collaboration amongst your client list? I think how it my path has led me here is that I've been very lucky in my career at United working my way up from assistant level to have worked in every single department at United and done deals in every single area, whether that's like books to unscripted to like technicians, brands, digital film, TV, theater, and actors. Part of that is I am just curious and interested in all aspects of our industry. And I believe very much in this whole ecosystem thing. And I am also interested in the different avenues that my clients can take. And I'm really led by the individual client. I sign people based on their ambition, their commitment to their vision and their ability to go, no, this is what, this is the ride we're going on. And I'll be like, yes, I'm interested in joining you on that ride and that experience. I think what all my clients do have in common is their drive and their ability to follow through. And the people on my list who work well have this incredible focus and an ability to communicate effectively with me about what they want and what they plan to do to get there. And then I can then add with and contribute with, well, okay, so these are the practical steps to achieve what you want. And we should have a look at this and look at this other thing. Um, But this is how we have a real structured way of moving forward. I don't work well, particularly with people who don't know what they want and if they expect me to create a career for them, because I feel like every successful career requires passion and commitment from the principal person who is doing that career. And if you you don't have that passion, that drive, I can give you the best advice in the world and that's not going to help you. And yeah, I mean, it's a lot of people to know. And a lot of diverse groups of people, but I really thrive on that. I like connecting with all sorts of different people in the industry and finding out what's going on from different um, points of view. My clients sometimes do collaborate. I don't make them 
but do this. <laughs> I, you must play together. No, I don't really do that. I often, uh, the morning after my annual Christmas drinks, I definitely do get a few calls or emails being like, could you connect me with this person? We really hit it off. And I'm like, like fantastic. Go, go off, go have coffee. <laughs> yeah. You uh, come back to me later. You you guys want to do something? Let's figure out how to how to make that happen. I was just playing a little hangover thing there. I was about to be like, "Can you leave me alone? It's the morning after the Christmas drinks. Piss off. Do your own thing for a bit." <laughs> I had a little follow up to that before um, I finally let Christian speak again. It's one of those episodes, I'm afraid today. <laughs> where what's really interesting is is the way that you're describing your relationship with your clients is very much that while it is obviously equal parts and you have stuff that you do and you have stuff that they do, that you're a lot of the time client, not client led. I'm not sure if I'm phrasing this correctly, that you're very dependent on your clients knowing what they want and how they're going to get there and that you support slash direct that. Whereas I think a lot of the time, the perception with agents from some of these much bigger offices is that they have ridiculously talented clients that just sit there on the sofa and will get five opportunities a week, aren't doing anything as the agents giving them that and that there isn't that much back and forth. But from what you're saying, at least from your perspective, it's a lot more the other way-ish in the sense of you need to know that they have a plan and you assist in that. Is that correct in saying that? Yeah. I mean, I think the sitting on the couch and waiting for the phone to ring thing is like, that is a Hollywood bygone fantasy from like, <laughs> it's like things you see in movies that don't actually happen or like the the Instagram versus reality, like meme, yeah, yeah. It's like something like that. I think more and more with how much our industry has changed, it is very, very driven by the client and what they want, because you cannot force people down roads they don't want to go on. Otherwise, it's just is really painful for everyone. I think it, it is very much, okay, what do you want to do? Is this achievable? And then with my industry experience and my ability to do the due diligence to go, okay, well, let me look into this. Let me talk to some people. Let's figure out how possible this is, what's achievable. And it's not that everything a client wants sometimes happens and we go after it. It is very much a dialogue and a discussion because a lot of times clients are going, I have this idea, but I don't know. I don't know if it's a good one. And here is the research I've done, and this is why I think it's a good idea. And I'm like, okay, great. Let me look into this. This is what I know now. These are the things that we I need to find out. Let's continue to have a dialogue on this and figure out whether or not it's something we should pursue. This is a conversation that happens very commonly, whether it be one of my clients going, listen, I've done a lot of theater. I want to do more screen work. That's a very common one. And then I do have conversations sometimes in rep requests where they're just like, but I want you to get me on in the movies. And I'm just like, okay, so what sort of films do you like? What sort of television programs do you see yourself being in? And then they go, well, I don't know. You tell me. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> we need, <laughs> you know, that, and then it becomes much harder work. Like, I've watched a lot of stuff. I've seen a lot of stuff. I like, there are so many series I watch for like one episode of, I have a lot of awareness of like, what's going on. But if you can't tell me what you have a passion for, it's much harder for me to help you because also without passion, there's no commitment. So even if I say to you, okay, I think you should play like this sort of character. If that's not something that you innately feel that you can do and you want to pursue and build the skills for, me saying that isn't going to make a hint of difference to you. 
Do you find there's often a disconnect sometimes, though, between uh, the stuff that actors love to watch and the stuff they'd actually be good to act in? Because I love my action films, but there ain't no way I'm an action lead. I could get punched in the face by one, but I don't think I'm going to be the action lead. Does that ever happen where you get actors that are like, I'm really passionate about this, I love this, but you're like, oh, but I'm not sure you'd get cast in a project like this. Or is that just quite black and white in something that's a bit more open? You are absolutely right. There's There are sometimes disconnects like that. But then the question is, how are you going to bridge that disconnect? Or... I'm going to go to the gym, Mildred. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get to the gym. I'm going to do some weights. <laughs> but is, the other question I have is, is that best served with the strengths that you naturally have as well? And back to that whole strengths conversation. Yes, you can compete in a race. Like if you're a long distance runner, yes. I'm sure you could do a sprint race, but are you best served by that? Is that the way that you can be the best that you can be? Um, or like my coach Davide said to me, yes, you can continue trying to be a dancer, but is that where you are going to be the best at your game and what you can offer to this community? And I think those are the conversations that need to be had when you're deciding on a path. Nothing in this industry is an agent waves a magic wand and boom, you're there. That never happens. It's always, it's these difficult conversations and thinking that has to happen for these seeming miracles to happen. I love all this advice. It's absolute gold. Um, I was going to ask, can you speak to speak about the ways in which your identity as an Asian American woman has shaped your experiences in the industry and how you sort of navigated your or any obstacles or biases that you've encountered as a result of your background? I think being an Asian American has in an elder millennial showing my age um, that being in that generation has meant the message to me has always been fit in, fit in. Don't poke your head up, just fit in, hide. I think when COVID and BLM happened, I think this led us all to re-examine our biases, re-examine how we see the world. For me, that was the moment where I realized it was really important, actually, for me to step forward and claim my racial identity and just go, yes, I am here. I can do something about that and step forward in a way that I never had before. And actually thinking about it, there's there are so few East Asian Chinese agents, East Asian agents. When I go to events and stuff, you know, that's it's not something I see very often. I mean, at the beginning of my career, I was definitely on the receiving end of lots of assumptions like, oh, you must work in translation rights or you are you someone's secretary or someone's wife? And I mean, it's it's funny, these things when you say them now, but it's just like it's maybe some preconceived biases. And I think that's where the representation conversation is important because to normalize having a diverse group of people doing these jobs means that there are fewer assumptions about what people can be. And um, I mean, even now I get so many emails where people are like, you're East Asian or you're Chinese. You must be interested in East Asians and East Asian stories. And I'm just like, no, not necessarily. Yeah. Like I yeah. could be, but I'm interested in a lot of things that are wider than that. Has your uh, experience as a former world championship competitive ballroom dancer had any influence on your approach to talent representation? 
Yes, at once, totally, and everything, and <laughs> also nothing, like <laughs> simultaneously. So, from the idea of being an agent in the first place, coming from my coach Davide, my approach is really informed by peak performance team sports. It really is. You know, how do you, you know, when you think about in sports, how do you run faster? How do you make that ball go further in Ballroom dancing, we always talked about how do you make as a couple, make you travel faster? How do you create speed and movement and light and shade? But it's about, for me, how you achieve your highest potential. Mm. And this will look different for everyone. And that is why my approach is so individual to every client and my client list is so diverse. But every client has that one thing in common. They want to be the best. They want to achieve the best of their potential. They aren't afraid to work hard and experience difficult things to get there. And then also nothing because (laughs) this is a different industry and a different place. And this is the thing, like lots of people talk to me about like crossover talent or transformation, because that is one of the things that they see me doing. And they're like, you're the crossover agent or you're the transformation agent. And I want you to transform my career. I'm like, no, you transform your career. You do it. And how you transform your career and how you are the architect of your career has almost nothing to do with my past, my biases, my experience, because it's about what what your vision is, how much you're willing to sacrifice to get there. And then, yeah, if I can guide you and give you advice and give you the information to make that happen then amazing. But that has to come from you. That has to come from you. I think that chasing of high performance is it, isn't it? Whatever it looks like in your world, that's what you. That's what the goal is always. And the amount of things you can take that aren't seemingly directly related. And, you know, I, when I teach young performers, I take a lot of things because I'm a massive sports person and I teach young actors as well. And I talk to them about things like marginal gains. And they're like, we just want to act, Matt. Can you leave us alone, please? <laughs> you start talking about marginal gains and things. But it is important, isn't it? It all comes into play. I, I think being elite in any industry comes down to very similar things. And it's funny when you talk to people who are elite and expert at what they do, you know, they all know a lot about prioritizing. They know about, like you say, marginal gains. They know about making, taking the big risk, making that strategic decision that changed the course of their life. And that meant giving something up that was really hard. And yeah, it's, it's all connected. And I love when using ideas from other areas to help inform what we do. I think we're all like stronger together in that way. And if the information is out there, use it. Absolutely. So now we're going to move on to a slightly different looking last section of our podcast to usual. So instead of our rapid fire section, um, earlier this recording week, Mildred put out a tweet asking if anyone had some industry myths that they wanted us to discuss or um, debunk or just generally talk about. And we had some nice responses. So we're going to go through sort of four of them. And we're just going to see where the conversation takes us. Do you have these loaded up in front of you, Christian? I did send them to you. I don't 
knew I had them now, yeah. Awesome. So we'll apologise in advance for getting usernames wrong, surnames wrong, maybe misinterpreting your question. It's Twitter, but we're only human and I'm a complete uh, grammar nerd and sometimes it stresses me out when I can't see a full stop when there should be a full stop and it, uh, it hurts me. So hopefully we'll just have a good conversation and see what opens up. So um, yeah, the first one, and again, I'm going to butcher the username right away. I want to say... Asinonics as the username. I'm going to go for that. But I just said, you know, we'll go with that. Anyway, so this is the first one, Mildred. Uh, Please debunk the myth that foreign actors can only play foreign roles with foreign accents. That is not reality, but too many people still seem to believe it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a hard no for me because we're, we're such a global industry right now. I don't think there's a room anymore for people only to be other and, uh, if you are foreign, therefore you must speak in a certain accent or play a certain character. I really, one of the things I aspire to in my list is to have a truly global talent list, people Mm -hmm. from all different countries, nationalities, cultures. Yeah, one of the projects, I am going to a very exciting premiere actually on Monday for in Amsterdam Mm -hmm. for a feature film called Black Lotus starring one of my clients, Ronalee Shimon, who's Israeli. Yeah. And they have an international all-star cast from all sorts of different countries and nationalities. It's an English-speaking film. And yeah, people have different accents, different ways of speaking. But it's not about that. Mm. It's it's a thriller. It's about the story. And I think more and more we're going to see this. And, you know, we always you always see the change first in in um, fantasy things like with um, when Black Panther came out and, you know, it's easier to see this in a in a fantasy world. But I do think that is trickling to films and TV everywhere. And in, I mean, especially with the streamers now commissioning work from all different countries because their subscriber bases are truly international. So. Mm-hmm. People do want to see people like them and also people different from them so they can experience life in a different way, in a different culture. I think people find that fascinating. Absolutely. Matt, you're going to have to help me out with this uh, username. Uh. <laughs> I put, I, I don't know if it's Uatu, Uatu, it's spelt U-A-T-U. Yeah. Uh, but that's about as far as I'm going to go. So you asked the question after making me butcher the username. So thanks for that. Off you, off you go. I'd rather embarrass you than me, but. <laughs> yeah, well, it's easy enough for me, isn't it? Anyway, carry on. So Mildred, big boy agency versus boutique agency. Do you think the pressure is greater and the shelf life shorter in the former? I think it also depends on the individual agent. Are they building their list? Um, Do they have quite a stable list? I wouldn't make any assumptions about anything or anyone. I think a good rule of thumb, though, is that your agent and you, you have to run a profitable business. So how you do that is a really important thing to decide. Um, There are agencies out there who are non-exclusive, so you can sign with multiple agencies at the same time. Um, But then the the other end of that is if you're non-exclusive, then they're going to have more clients, so they're going to have less time for you. Mm -hmm. And then you have exclusive agencies. Um, our, um, Our working model is an exclusive representation model. And... In that case, then together, 
we're going to have to figure out a way that this makes sense as a business. So, I mean, whether that is supplementing, if you're an actor, supplementing in terms of commercials and voiceover and brand deals and digital, or going, okay, we're going to go for a few really big projects, or we know you can make money in theater, but you want to branch out. So we're going to try and do like for every one screen project, then you're going to do two theater projects or however you go about that. But whatever you make, your agent makes so much less, but you have to be able to keep them afloat, whether they are at a big agency or they are at a small agency, because at the end of the day, it does reflect on them and how they're going to be able to keep you on the list. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting thing for for actors to to know. And I don't know if you can answer this if you're but the question I was going to move on to was, do well, I'm assuming all agencies and agents get given targets by the business because ultimately you are there to make money. Is that the reality of it? Yeah. I think even if you run your own agency, you have to make a profit. Otherwise, there's no point in you being there. So at um, larger agencies, yes, we have targets that we are meant to achieve. And we also were, we look at our numbers every year and every quarter and go, how did I do? And, and it's something that I do for myself as well, like Charlotte and I in our office, it's something that on a weekly basis, we actually we have a process where we turn to each other and we go, we made this much in commission this week. Well done, you know, and, uh, and okay, we're going to try that we have this much outstanding, let's try to bring it in next week. And so I think it's, it's good to be aware of that. And you're not just with the commission that you bring your agent, you're not just you're paying for their time. But you're, it's also like, the office, their IT. And if there's an assistant who's helping you with those meetings and those self tapes, you know, that that has to be taken into account as well. Or, you know, sometimes we work in teams. If you have another agent as well on the team, you have to be able to cover them as well. So I think it's an important thing to think about. And I think a lot of times when actors and creatives don't think about this, there's a bit of a disconnect. And yeah, take it personally. Yeah. Well, on to the next sort of Mythbuster style question. So this is from Ian Donnelly. Now, this could either be typed with an R or an aunt. We weren't sure which one to go with. So I'm just going to put that on Mildred and do both. So <laughs> do older actors have any chance of signing with a bigger agent, even if they are experienced or even if they aren't experienced? It was one of the two. I think that it's less about age as your experience and what you bring to the table. I think it is all about like what um, an agent's portfolio looks like. Do they need someone of your description and your skill set? I've just gone through a period actually where I've only signed people over 40. (laughs) And um, there were a few interesting people that happened to walk through my door and they had some very interesting CVs and skill sets. And we had a great conversation about where they were going next. And I was like, this sounds exciting. I'm on board. Let's do this. So yeah, I think that is definitely a myth that we can safely debunk because I am an agent at a big agency and I have signed a few actors over 40 in the last month. (laughs) 
Done. There we go. But Ian, you missed out, fella. And unless Ian was one of those, we're like, oh man, should have just gone for it, fella. Should have just sent the email. <laughs> do you want to wrap us up, Christian? Do you want to ask the last one? Absolutely. So from Astrid Koofman, sorry, apologies in advance. How about the good old, if you're a foreigner, you need a perfect RP, standard English accent. Otherwise, you won't book any work in the UK industry. What's your take on that? Oh my God. I feel like currently there's such room for diverse accents and there actually is a greater awareness that um, productions want to include a diversity of accents in their productions. And I would say, as with any actor, you are limited if you can only do one accent, whether that be RP or a Northern accent or a London accent or a French accent. If that's all, you can only do one accent, you are going to be limited to roles that require that accent. So I would say to any actor that you need to have a range of accents that you are able to do. Um, because also at the end of the day, it's not about the accent. It's about the, uh, the storytelling and the characters you're able to play. And there are also just an amazing, an amazing selection of like support and accent and dialect coaches out there who can help you cultivate and develop a range of accents that you can bring to the table. I think that's a lovely point to end on. We've covered so many different topics. It's been a wonderful discussion, an uplifting discussion as well. And I've learned a lot. I'm sure Christian's learned a lot as well. So thank you so much for joining us in the room today, Mildred. And have a lovely rest of your evening. It's been great to chat to you. Thank you.